0: Good morning, fellowship family. Would you stand with us? Because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, we stand here clean, close, forgiven. Amen. We are okay. God is for us. He loves us. He's never against us. So let's celebrate our position in Christ Jesus this morning, okay? Can we do that? Amen. Can you put some rhythm to that? Yeah. Sing it if you know it. Come on. I was buried beneath my shame, who could carry that kind of weight, it was my turn, till I, till I met spiritually dead, I was breathing alive Yes, all my failures I tried to hide It was my thing Till to the kingdom of his dear son. Amen. Celebrate that truth, fellowship. Children of God, why don't we find somebody around us this morning, shake their hand, tell them it's good to see you.
1: Discover was something I knew about, but I was primarily plugged in in FSM, like leading cell groups and students. It's where I think God has gifted me and where my heart's been for a long time. And I wanted my commitment, my faith at Fellowship, to be fully my own, grounded, and kind of understand everything, and to make sure that I really, truly understood the identity and the DNA of my church. And so I signed up for uh, for Discover, actually in Fayetteville at the time. Really enjoyed it and was really affirmed in a lot of the things that I learned just from being a part of our community. My fellowship journey was, was by myself in a lot of ways. Not, I mean, I always had community, but I think a lot of these faith decisions, God pressed on my heart and our community took care of me. And I think for me, it was just really exciting to, that God blessed me with someone else to bring into the journey with and to see the great things that God's doing in our church through someone else's eyes. And kind of, I was more just excited and, and really interested in how Natalie was processing those new things too.
2: I wanted the background of, okay, what exactly does Fellowship believe and what things are going on at Fellowship? How can we get involved? How can we serve? Pretty early on, we decided after we got married that we are like, our next step is to go through Discover. to make it our church. I felt like that was an important step for us. I think it also helped me feel like a part of the church. I did not feel like this was my church until we started going to a community group. And now they're our best friends and we that's who we do life with. I did not fully understand what that looked like until going through Discover.
1: What I think is great about a Discover class is That there can be aha moments that happen um, from someone's story that's shared or the realization that, man, my story is the same as all these people. Like, I actually have a lot in common with these people.
2: I think we decided to lead a group, a Discover group, because we saw just the value in discipleship. Like, that's the backbone, that's the foundation of what Fellowship believes is that we are in this church to become equipped so that we can produce and release, so that we can share what we have learned and disciple others so that they can disciple others and so on. And I think that was very evident in our Discover class that we went through together and that's something that I was, I think, missing um, in a previous church. Um, just that element of discipleship.
1: I love being a part of the the doorstep for people to dive into being a part of our church. It's just exciting, and I think I love having those relationships and seeing uh, some of those couples who still know each other and we still have a connection, even if we're not there every day.
3: It is good to see y'all today. Hey, Jacob and Natalie Smith are some of my favorite people. Jacob's one of those guys that I've only known him as Smitty for so long that every time I see Jacob Smith, I'm like, Jacob Smith, Jacob. Oh, Smitty, yeah. Um, But it is so fun to have them up there and discover, just like they were saying, starts February 11th. I don't know about you guys, but I started coming to fellowship when I was in college and I came for two years. We were in the old, the Family Center Auditorium, and I would come with my friends, and I would sit on the right side, and for two years, I would come, and I would, I would like, worship and go through the teaching, and I would leave and be like, man, that was amazing, that was so good. I can't wait to come back next week, and I didn't get connected for two years. I would just walk in the side door, sit with my friends, and then walk out the side door, and for two years, I didn't get connected or anything like that, but I loved the church, and then three years in, um, I started becoming a cell leader. I led a seventh grade group. Four years in, I come on staff. And I was like, you know what? I should probably go through Discover. That would probably be a good idea. Um, but going through Discover helped me put, I'd been, I'd been catching lots of stuff from up front. The worship one, serve one, that every member is a minister, that, that we are producing and releasing spiritual leaders But going through Discover helped me put a context to what that means, to to what our church is all about, to help me understand the mission and vision of fellowship. And so I encourage you guys, if you have never done Discover, it doesn't matter if you've been here forever, we want you to be able to go through that and really put, put a context to why we do church the way we do it, and what's the biblical view of that. And so remember that, February 11th, you can jump online and sign up, and we would love to have you. Hey. We have a newcomer's gathering actually happening today right after each of the services. So if you'll go out in the foyer, you'll see a newcomer's gathering sign. You'll just go through there, and it'll be in the family center. We would love to get to know you, whether you've, you've just started coming or you just haven't been connected yet. We would love to get to know you and get you connected. If you have kids, if you can go grab your kids and then come to the newcomer's gathering, that would be awesome. It's pretty low-key in there, um, and we would love to have you in there. Grief Share starts up on February 6th. And Grief Share is a loving and caring group of people who wanna walk through one of life's most difficult times with you. You shouldn't have to go through that alone and you were not meant to go through that alone. And so if, if you would like more information, you can jump online and check out the Grief Share group that's happening on February 6th. Last thing is our early childhood ministry needs 54 leaders. 54 leaders, all right? Um, we put this up last week. We got some good sign-ups. We did not get 54 signups, and so we would love to have y'all sign up for it. You guys know that, that FSM has over 200 student leaders that lead in elementary and early childhood. 200 FSM kids lead in elementary and early childhood. Do not let those young punks show you up, all right? Y'all can jump in and serve. We would love to have you. Um, there are lots of different opportunities. You can jump in as a small group leader. You can jump in as a snack provider. You can jump in for tech team. We would, we would love to have you sign up for those things. And let me pray, and then we'll continue worship. Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be the church. We thank you so much for just the chance to come together as a body of believers who are dedicated to loving and serving you, Father. Lord, may your spirit be over this place. May every person in here leave changed because of what you are doing in each of our lives, Father. I pray that you would move mightily in us, Lord, that you'd be near and real to each and every person in here. You would meet them wherever they are in their circumstances, Father. And Lord, you would show them a better way, Lord. Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.
4: to wake as a child he became that
0: Thank wow. We thank you so much for giving us all in and through Jesus and giving us everything we need for life and for godliness in Christ. Help us lean on you, Jesus. Christ for us, Christ through us, Christ in us. Lord, it's all your work from start to finish. We could never pay you back, and you're not asking us to. You saved us by grace through faith in Jesus. And for that, we say, Wow, and we say, Thank you. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.
5: Amen. Well, you can take a seat and buckle up, Buttercup, because we got some content to get through this morning. All right? Sam's going to be teaching in the training center, so we're actually learning something in here. It's a joke. It's a joke, we know it's because John is out of town that we will learn something in here this morning. You know, studying the Old Testament, it it can be overwhelming. This is just a picture of the first six movements that we find in the Old Testament. And there's a lot. Trying to figure out, hey, what, what character lived when? What story happened at what time? And who's related to who? There's just so much. And so what I wanna do this morning is simplify it for us a little bit. You see, this new series that we're stepping into, we're gonna be looking at the sixth movement within the Old Testament. It comes after Genesis. It's after the Exodus story. The people have been freed from Egypt. It's following the time of Moses and Joshua, and it's after the period of Judges. You see, it's in this sixth movement, this kingship movement, that we see characters like Samuel and, and, and Saul, Nathan, the prophet, David. It's found in First and 2 Samuel, part of 1 Kings. And it's in this section of scripture that we learn about Israel as a united nation. They haven't split yet. They're still together. They're under the rule of one king. But you see, in this part of the Old Testament, in this new series, we're going to look at one character in particular. We're going to be taking a look at David and the life of David. Now, I think this will be a really great series for us, and we've got resources available to you. In fact, you can find all of those online. Now, I realize some of you are a little frustrated by that. Maybe there's mixed emotions about whether we got printed versions or online. If you're like me and you like to print, guess what? We probably own printers. So let's just click print this time. Next time, we'll get a physical one, okay? But everything you need from a discussion guide to a series notes to your community group questions it can all be found online or on the app. This will be an eight-week series for us. It'll go all the way up to Palm Sunday. We'll do Easter, and then we'll start in Mark. But in this series on David, what we're gonna do is take a look at the historical life of the second king of Israel. We'll be in First and Second Samuel primarily. I'm sure some teachers will jump into the Psalms, but we're gonna try and understand the rise, the fall, and the restoration of the man of David. And the reason that we want to study David is because he's an important figure in the Bible. He's a prominent character in our scriptures, and and we know some things about him. David was a shepherd. He was the son of Jesse. He was chosen by God to be the second king of Israel. He was anointed by Samuel to do so. And when we think of David, we probably think of I don't know, David defeating Goliath, maybe him writing some of the Psalms, or even his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. You see, David was a great leader, he was a, he was a great commander, but he also was messed up. David made mistakes, David was sinful, just like you and I. And yet, although David was sinful, God was still faithful. And God made a promise to David. God made a covenantal promise to David that Jesus would become the fulfillment of. You see, the story of David reminds us that, yeah, it's good to be someone with great skill, but it's even better to be someone of great faith. The story, the character of David helps us remember that God's faithful to fulfill his promises even when we as humanity are unfaithful. And I think the character of David helps us see that God can and does use flawed people to fulfill his plans. So we're going to jump into the first part of David this morning, but before we do, I think it would be helpful for us to get the Cliff Notes version of the first king of Israel, Saul. For the whole series, we need to know who Saul is, and so let me just give you an abbreviated version of his story And the story of Saul can start all the way back in Deuteronomy. You see, in Deuteronomy, God is talking to the people and he says to them, someday you're gonna choose a king. But when you choose a king, you've gotta choose someone who is different. God tells the people, you need to choose someone who fears the Lord. You need to choose someone who will obey my commandments. Don't go after somebody with all these kingly characteristics. Go after someone with a godly heart, with godly character. And so when it came time for the people to choose their king, this is the opposite of what they did. They actually said, no, we want somebody who will make us like the nations. We want somebody who will fight for us. We want someone who will judge over us. And the people got caught up in being like the other nations rather than in following what God had prompted them to do. And so they chose Saul. And the way Saul is described is in such a way that we see he came from money. He knew how to handle business. He was handsome and attractive. People wanted to be around him. And it talks of his stature. He was taller than anybody else, presumably meaning he could fight. He was a capable warrior. But you see, the moment that Saul was proclaimed as king to the very end of his rule, it was just a downward tumble because he didn't have a heart that was chasing after the Lord. You see, Saul's rule was filled with unlawful sacrifices and rash decisions and vows and disobedience, so much so that eventually God sends Samuel, the prophet at the time, to Saul, and Samuel says to Saul, look, because you've rejected the word of the Lord, the Lord has rejected you as king. And it's here in this sticky moment where Saul's been rejected by God but is still ruling as king, in that weird and odd tension that we pick up in the story of David. You see, if you got your Bibles, you can open up to 1 Samuel 16. That's where we'll be looking this morning. But what I want you to notice is that as we read through the first 13 verses of 1 Samuel 16, we're going to see two things. The first is the providence of God. And the second would be the values of God. We're going to see the providence of God and the values of God. Now, I want us to just read through the text. I want us to get a, a broad understanding of what's happening. And I want you to look for these ideas. So if you've got your Bible, you can make a mark of where you see the providence of God show up, or you can highlight maybe where you see God's values displayed. And then we'll come back, and together we'll kind of unpack it, maybe ask a few devotional thoughts and application thoughts. First Samuel 16, verse 1, it starts off and says that the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? Since I've rejected him from being king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and go. I'll send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I've provided for myself a king among the sons. You see, God's talking to Samuel and he says, look, it's time to get over Saul. We're gonna go find a new king and I know who it is. Go to Bethlehem, get Jesse, and from one of his sons, I will choose a king. And so Samuel looks at the Lord and he says, how can I go? If Saul hears that I'm doing this, he's going to kill me. Because remember, Samuel is the one who rejected Saul. Samuel's the one who told Saul, you're no longer God's chosen king. And so they're at odds a little bit. And Samuel's saying, look, if I go and do this, then Saul is going to try and kill me. But the Lord responds to Samuel and he says, no, 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 take a heifer with you. Say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to that sacrifice. I'm gonna show you what you shall do and you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. So Samuel packs up. He actually goes along with the Lord's plan. He did as the Lord commanded him and he went to Bethlehem. But the elders of the city came to meet him. They were trembling and they look at Samuel and they say, do you come peaceably? because they know what's going on between Samuel and Saul. The elders of Bethlehem understand that those two are at odds, and they're talking to the prophet saying, hey, we don't want any trouble, so so why are you here? And Samuel responds to them and says, peaceably, I've come, and I've come to sacrifice, so consecrate yourselves and come with me. And then Samuel went and he got Jesse and invited Jesse and his sons after consecrating them to the sacrifice, just as the Lord had told him to do. Samuel is walking, he's following what the Lord had told him to do. And it's there at the sacrifice, Samuel knows one of the sons is going to be chosen to be king. And so the boys begin to pass before him. It actually says when they came, Samuel, he looked on Eliab and he thought, surely, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't look on his appearance or on the height of his stature. Because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord, the Lord looks on the heart. And so they brought the other boys before him. Jesse called Abinadab, made him pass before Samuel. And the Lord said, nope, not this one. And so Jesse calls Shammah and makes him pass before Samuel. And the Lord says, no, not this one. And so Jesse brought all the seven other sons in front of Samuel And Samuel looks at him and says, none of these has the Lord chosen. Can can you imagine the confusion going on in Samuel's mind? Because he shows up to this thing saying, Lord, you told me that one of these boys was going to be king. And now I'm telling the dad that none of them are. And so Samuel, standing there, I imagine him looking at Jesse and finally going, are all your sons here? And Jesse says, well, there remains the youngest the smallest, but behold, he's out keeping the sheep. David didn't even think it was worth inviting, or, Samuel, or Jesse didn't even think it was worth inviting David to this sacrifice. He didn't even consider the youngest. It wasn't even an impossibility to dad that this could possibly be David, but Samuel says, go get him, and we're not sitting down until he shows up, and so that's what they do. They send for David, and he's brought, they brought him in, It says he was ruddy, he had beautiful eyes, and he was handsome. And as he walks in, the Lord says, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. You see, David walks in, and the Lord chooses him. Now, I think we do have to recognize that the text makes mention of David's outward appearance. It says that he was beautiful. It says that he was handsome. But we also need to recognize that this isn't the reason that David was chosen. Stature wasn't the reason that God rejected Eliab and the brothers, and David's stature isn't the reason that he's selected. No, David was anointed. David was chosen because of his heart, and although we might not know what that heart is yet as the readers in the story, as we go through this series, we're going to see what David's heart is. It's a heart of humility. It's a heart of faithfulness. It is a heart that's sinful, but one that's always willing to repent. And so Samuel did just that. He stood, he took the horn and the oil, and he anointed David in the midst of his brothers. The spirit of the Lord rushes upon David from that day forward. And this, this is the story of David being anointed. Did you catch these ideas? Do you see the providence of God in there? Do you actually see the value system? Because I think we should go back through it and I want to ask a devotional question about the providence of God and then I want us to apply the values of God to our own life. You see, it doesn't take long for the the providence of God to show up in this section. It's pretty clear from the very first verse who is in charge. As the Lord said to Samuel that I have rejected him, I will send you, I'm the one providing You see, it's constantly God talking, it's God speaking, it's God guiding, it's God directing, it's God providing in this story, because he knows what's going on. Even when Samuel has concerns for his own life, when Samuel has fear, it's the Lord who has a plan. And it's the Lord who's telling Samuel, it's not your job to make it up, it's my job to let you know. See, this whole story is built on a relationship between humanity and God. It's built on this relationship between Samuel and the Lord, but the relationship isn't Samuel clamoring, trying to appease a distant and and far off God who doesn't give a lot of help. No, it's about this infinite, sovereign, gracious God who's kindly guiding and providing for his people. He provides in a way that Samuel can even understand. He speaks to Samuel in a way that he can hear and know. And it's clear to him, don't choose this son, don't choose this one, but, but choose this one. You see, I think when we read the story of David's anointing, a lot of times we get caught up in trying to figure out, okay, who's this Samuel character? And who's Jesse, where's he from? What are all these brothers like? Tell me more about Eliab and, and Abinadab. I wanna know about them. Or we really begin to focus in on David thinking that he's the main character. This is who this story is about. So let's figure out what David's heart is filled with. And none of that is wrong. None of that is bad. Those are all good things. Do that. Study your Bible and ask those questions. But when we get caught up in those things, we can miss what's sitting right in plain sight. And that this is a story that tells us something about who God is. And what it tells us about who God is is that he's the one in control. He's the one who knows what's going on. He's the one who has a plan, and he's the one who provides for his people. This is a story telling us that God is sovereign and the one who provides. And you know what? We we serve that same God today. It's easy for us in our minds to say, oh, it was wise for Samuel to trust God in this moment. It gets a little more difficult when we begin to say, yeah, but do we trust God in our current moments? Because if it's the same God, if it's the providing sovereign God, we have to ask that question. Do we actually trust the providential nature of our Lord in our life? Do we believe that he speaks to us, that he guides us, that he walks with us, that he wants to be with us? That he isn't distant, but he has a plan. And he's in control, even in the midst of the fears of my life, the uncertainties of my story, the struggles that I go through. The same God that walked with Samuel is the same God that's walking with us. Do I trust him? And I know it's an elementary question, but it's actually pretty foundational to our faith. And dependent on how you answer that question, it dictates how you engage with this next idea, which is the values of God. And we see the values of God show up in this story, especially in the, in the later part of the conversation between Samuel and the Lord. You see, Samuel's looking at the, at the sons and it says, when he looked on Eliab, he thought, surely. I mean, surely the Lord's anointed is before this one. And I picture Chris Hemsworth of the rock just walking up. You know, and Samuel's going, sweet mercy. This has got to be him. But what's interesting in doing that is Samuel is acting just like all the other nations. He's looking for someone with some kingly characteristics, not for someone with godly character. In fact, what Samuel does is he assumes that stature is the leading qualification for a king. He, He assumes that the way that Eliab looked would determine Eliab's ability to rule. Even more so, Samuel thinks that it's Eliab's appearance that is demonstrative of God's anointing in his life. You see, Samuel was putting his value in all the wrong things. He was enticed, he was allured, he was impressed by the external. But that's not what the Lord was impressed with. Because the Lord actually said to him, don't look on his appearance or on the height of his stature. That's not what we're doing, I've rejected him. And he doesn't just say, don't look on the height of his appearance or his stature, he says, I see not as man sees. The Lord tells Samuel, I'm looking at something different. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord, the Lord looks on the heart. You see, God looked at all the sons the same. He looked at all of them, but it wasn't the outward appearance. Again, that was impressive or enticing to him because as he looked at all the sons, he was looking inwardly. He was looking at their heart, and that's what he valued because God didn't need a physically strong king. No, he needed a spiritually strong one. He didn't need somebody who was self-reliant, but he wanted someone who recognized their reliance on the Lord. God didn't need somebody who would be a hero. He wanted someone who would leave the heroics up to him, and he didn't need anybody with this truly impressive hubris, but he wanted somebody who had a deep and real humility. God was looking at the inward, not the outward. And the very characteristics that Samuel thought were qualifying for leadership weren't what the God want, weren't what God wanted, wanted to use, or valued. I think we make the exact same mistake that Samuel did. I think we value competency and capability as the greatest. We're all a bunch of achievers. We live in a capitalistic society where it's about continuing to go forward. And so what we make our life about is performing. And we think that God wants to use people who can achieve and and who do at the first and foremost. We think that's what's most valuable. But that isn't what God values most. In fact, when we read this, I think what we see is that God values character over capability. That God values the person over their performance. Or like Dave English says, God values godliness over giftedness. Because he's the one who makes things happen. He's the one who's in control. He's looking for someone with a heart that chases after him. You see, when we read this story, I think what is very clear at this moment is that God values something that's different than what humanity values. God looks for something differently than we do. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, do we seek what God values? Is that what we seek first and foremost? And I think we can actually ask this question by looking through two lenses, and I wanna look through both of them. The first is, do we seek what God values for ourselves? Are we people who are constantly looking for external accomplishments over internal godliness? Are we people who try and focus on our capabilities far more than walking with the Lord in a way that he would refine our character? And you can, you, you can kind of figure that out because look at where you invest your time, your money, and your energy Do we put all time, money, and energy into the physical, whether it's in the gym or how we look, rather than walking with the Lord and listening to him through his word? Do we invest more in lowering our golf handicap rather than actually walking in the spiritual disciplines? Because when Jesus is talking in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the people who recognize their depravity. Blessed are the people, not who are capable, but the people who understand I'm capable. He says, blessed are the meek, those who don't overstate themselves, overuse themselves, but follow desperately after me. Are those the attributes that I chase after? And I get it. it, It's hard because, look, we all want to be people who who have an incredible LinkedIn. We want to be people whose Strava account is amazing, and we want our net worth to constantly be going up. And none of that is bad. Those are all good things. But when we pursue those values at the exclusion of the values of God, we're wrong. And when we choose those values as primary or more important than the values of God, we're misplaced. We can be both competent and have character, but God makes it clear which one we pursue first. Not only do we need to ask the question, do we seek what God values for ourselves, but I think we have to ask Do we seek it in others? And there's probably a lot of ways that you could look at this category. I'm gonna give us a few ideas. It's not exhaustive. But go with me here for a second. Do we seek what God values in others in our dating relationships? If single, whether whether never married or dating again, what is it that you seek in a significant other? Is it what this world tells you is valuable? Or is it what God has proclaimed and sees as valuable? I've heard it said before that a lot of times when dating, we look for characteristics that we feel are just right for us rather than a character that is righteous. What is it that we're pursuing in someone else? Is it godliness? Because that's greatest. What about in our parenting relationships? The way that we parent our children? Do we demonstrate to our kids what's most important? The way that I'm parenting, does it push academics and athletics and achievements as best or am I showing them that godliness is greatest? And that, that's hard to answer because parenting doesn't just involve what I say. It doesn't just involve what I do. It's actually what I demonstrate. Is the way that my wife and I are setting up our schedule, the rhythm of our life, is it showing our children that we believe that a relationship with Jesus is more important than anything else? That's a hard question for me to answer. And as I'm thinking through this, I get convicted, you know, because I start thinking about my kids and I'm going, man, when is the last time I just took my son to go get ice cream because he expressed humility or kindness, or he asked for forgiveness without being prompted to, when did I, when's the last time I celebrated my kids for their character, not just their performance? I want to be a dad who parents in such a way that my children understand who they are matters more than what they do. But that's tough. What about this? What about our friendships? Why is it that we seek the people that we seek to be in relationship with? Is it because what they can give us? Is is it because we bought into some idea that we can gain some worldly value and that's what we're striving after and that's why we're in relationship with them? I I know it kind of sounds harsh. I'm not saying that you can't have friends who are fun. Absolutely do that. I'm not saying it's bad to have friends who own a boat, which by the way, if you own a boat and you're taking friendship applications this summer, the Freemans are applying. But what I am saying is that what God valued in people is different than what we typically value in people. And what God sought in a king is typically different than what we seek in people. What if we chose to seek after what God values in this life? Because the Lord said to Samuel, look, I see things differently. Man looks outward. I look inward. Man sees stature. I see the heart. My hope is that we as people of fellowship would begin to take on the eyes of Jesus, that we would see things differently and that we would value things differently. And and I hope that we'd be like Samuel, that we would trust God. See, fellowship, our goal is that we would be people who would trust God and seek what he values, both in ourselves and in others. Hey, can I pray for us this morning? Father, thank you that you're a God who walks with us, that you're a God who provides for us that you're in control. Help us to trust that. Even in the midst of our fears and uncertainty, help us to hold which you hold your hand, Jesus, which you extend to us. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the eyes to see what you value and give us the hearts to chase after that. We pray these things in your name, amen. Well, fellowship, we love you. Thanks for being here this morning. Hey, we've got prayer room open, and so if you need prayer, come and find us. If you're a newcomer, Head on over to the Family Center. We would love to shake your hand and get to meet you. Other than that, we'll see you all next week. We love you. Say hi to someone on your way out. Thanks for coming.